0: Walters Sports Bar is excited to welcome Nationals fans back to the ballpark this spring. Located directly across the street from Nationals Park, Walters is the preeminent sports bar in Navy Yard, boasting over 35 televisions, both indoors and out. Walters is a great location to catch the Nats all season long. Walters encourages all fans to check out coronavirus.dc.gov to get up-to-date information on current dining restrictions. Go Nats! The Nats
1: are on the road right now, but Walters is open. And if you want to watch the ball games and enjoy food and drink indoors or outdoors, head to Walters right across the street from Nationals Park.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data
3: Here's the pitch. Swinging a high, high drive to deep left center field. This one's way back to the wall, and there it goes. Avilan grooves one on 1-0, and Justin Turner does not miss. His second home run of the year brings home the first run of the game. It's Los Angeles 1, and the Nationals nothing.
0: And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, April 10th, 2021, along with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nationals fall to 1-3, and a one nothing loss at the Dodgers in Game 1 of a three-game series. A disappointing ending to an otherwise very good Friday for the Nationals. Good news on the COVID-19 front. Good news on the ballpark front. More fans are about to be allowed at Nationals Park. But Mark, for a second straight game, the Nats get a very good starting pitching performance. They're in this game, and they're unable to come through.
1: Good news is Joe Ross looked great, and that's a really encouraging sign moving forward. And yeah, they limited to five innings and 67 pitches, and, and it was a calculated decision. I know some fans might have hoped that Davey might let him go another inning, but first time out, hadn't pitched in a long time, you get that. And they actually did put together some quality at-bats against Walker Bueller. And the Dodgers bullpen, and they had a few chances late. And then a really costly mistake by Victor Robles on the bases. We'll get to that. And that kind of set the tone for that squandered rally. And I don't know, on on one hand, I think you do feel encouraged because of the pitching they're getting. The fact that they've been in every game, they're all one-run games, except one of them was a two-run game. So that's good. And you feel like once they get their full roster together, that they're going to have a better chance to win these games. But boy, it'd be nice to be two and two right now instead of one and three, or maybe even three and one, which they realistically could be right now.
0: No doubt. You tell us what you think. You can tweet the show at Nats underscore chat. You can email us, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to become a sponsor of the movement, that is the Nats Chat Podcast. Email the man behind all of this, Tim Showers. Again, the email address, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. So yeah, Joe Ross is quite good. We'll get to him momentarily. The Nats, though, get shut down by Walker Bueller and three Dodgers relievers. Finish the game with eight hits, but seven of them are singles. The only walk that the Nats draw the entire game is an intentional walk and then there was what happened in the top of the eighth inning the Nats failing to score in a top of the eighth in which the team had runners at the corners with no outs while trailing one nothing and the big boo-boo in the inning ends up being Victor Robles here's
2: Turner runners first and third first pitch strike runner goes throw to second and he's out
0: Robles is thrown out by Will Smith at second base You know, it's funny. He starts off his inning with an outstanding bunt single. I mean, just a beautiful bunt that he puts down. That gives the Nats runners at the corners, nobody out. Then Robles inexplicably attempts to steal second base with Trey Turner batting Juan Soto on deck, gets thrown out. Davey Martinez made it clear during his postgame Zoom press conference that was a Robles decision, not a Davey decision. Robles, to his credit, takes ownership of the decision not working out. Do we qualify this, Mark, by the way, as a tootblan thrown out on the base pass like a nincompoop, or is this not a tootblan? We need an official scoring on this.
1: I'm going to say it's not a tootblan. To me, a tootblan is, you know, the runner who just starts going for no reason at all, maybe gets caught in a rundown, gets thrown out by a mile. It's the one that everybody in the ballpark is just scratching their heads and saying, what just happened? Now, that was a bad base running play, no doubt about it. I'm going to say it doesn't meet the tootblan qualification even if he did look a little bit like a nincompoop at the end of that
0: <laughs> it did it did but that was a brutal moment there's no question about that and a tight game like this you you know i don't want to say run yourself out of a rally because you still have opportunities beyond that but that w- was a bad spot what was robles thinking in that moment
1: so what he said and, and first of all i'm going to give him a lot of credit he he owned the mistake and he gave a detailed explanation for what he did gave it in spanish and then octavio martinez the translator gave it to us in English. And in Robles's mind, he's thinking second and third with nobody out is a great opportunity there, because even if somehow the runner on third, you know, is thrown out of the plate or something like that, you still have the trailing runner will be right behind him at third, maybe even a base hit scores two, and now you've taken the lead. So yes, on all of that, except, and he, this is what he admitted, he wasn't thinking about who was coming up right behind him. And that was Trey Turner at the plate, Juan Soto in the on-deck circle and then Ryan Zimmerman behind him. The way this lineup is constructed right now, missing all the big names still, Josh Bell, Kyle Schwarber, you have to let Turner and Soto have the chance to drive him in. And by running himself into an out, Robles made it less likely for those guys to have a chance. And and he knew it. Uh, He just wasn't thinking about it in the moment. And this is where we have to remember, I know he's been in the big leagues a few years now, but he's still, I think, 23 or 24 years old. It'll come to him. He'll get it. But that was a really costly mistake at the wrong moment.
0: He's been at the major league level for a while here. To me, that's that's inexcusable. Like, I mean, and it's not, this isn't like advanced physics where it's like, understanding that Trey Turner's hitting Juan Soto's on deck. I mean, you know, you don't have to have a a high level baseball IQ to sort of pick up on that. I mean, just kind of let your two best batters. I mean, that's the thing. They're two best batters. One guy's hitting, the other guy's about to be hitting it. And you get thrown out like that. Now, of course, the result sort of drives the narrative. If Robles is safe, it's all, oh, man, aggressive base running, you know. They're like the Cardinals of the 80s. Like, you know, that's the way you do it. You got to manufacture runs when you're minus all these key players. So I get that. There is an aspect to this of if he's safe, nobody's complaining about this. But that's the thing. It's like, you better be right about it. You better be safe. And if you're safe, OK. But if you're not, that's a, that's a big time boo-boo. That's a big matzo ball, as they once said on <laughs> Seinfeld. And that was just tough to see. And like I said, it takes away from what I thought in a lot of ways was a good game for Robles. The so Bun single was great. I loved how he worked Walker Bueller, Robles did over his first two plate appearances, making Bueller throw 15 total pitches over those two plate appearances. But it's like this is what's going to stick with people. Robles getting gunned down in that top of the eighth.
1: Yeah, look, let's be clear. Over the four games in their entirety, Robles has been a positive at the plate. He's done exactly what they needed him to do at the leadoff spot except for in that moment. And you no, know, you're right. He he needs to know better than that. He's been around long enough to know it. You hope once you make that mistake once, you never make it again. We'll see. But I think it's especially notable because of what they're dealing with with their lineup right now. If you've got Turner, Soto, Bell, Schwarber, it's maybe a little different story. I, I still think you don't do that when Turner's at the plate and Soto's on deck, but at least gives you a little better chance because the problem was if they didn't score in the eighth, You knew they weren't going to score in the ninth. And as we saw, Corey Knable struck out the side, struck out Castro, Stevenson, and Perez. So you've got to understand this is our one and probably only shot to score a run and maybe two. Let's let our best hitters at the plate try to get it done.
0: Yeah, uh, you mentioned Hernan Perez, two plate appearances off the bench, two strikeouts, each of which came on three pitches. Uh, The Hernan Perez era (laughs) may not be lasting much longer. I I got a question, though, about base running, because all the conversation is about Robles, and I get why. Can you explain why was Juan Soto trying to steal? Soto gets a one-out single in the top of the fourth off having been down to the count at 1.02. So, you know, another instance of Soto turning water into wine, as he so often does, but then he gets thrown out trying to steal second base for the third out. What was that about? Why is he trying to steal second there?
1: So it's something he wants to do more this year. He's talked about believing he can run more, maybe even steal 20 bases, something like that. I think he has the ability to do it if you pick your right spots. And look, he was almost safe too. It was, that was one of It was a perfect throw and tag. And you see more and more of this now. The throw and the tag are not going to the bag. They're going in front of the bag where you can tag the guy on the rear end before he gets the hand in. And he was called safe initially because in real time, the umpire's looking at his hand and he thinks he beat it. And then you see on replay that he didn't. So I think it's something you got to watch for now, realizing that the catchers are good enough and infielders are good enough to, to make that play. Again, it may just be knowing what the state of this lineup is and thinking if I can get into scoring position with Zimmerman and then Castro coming up, this might be our best chance. Maybe he forced the issue a little much, but I think it's something you're going to see him do a lot this year. He believes he can run more and he can add it to his game. Not that he needs it. (laughs) I mean, he's an excellent ball player in every other way, but if he thinks that can make a difference and and elevate his game to an even uh, to another level, you may see him try to do that more.
0: I wonder, can he, because stolen bases, right, it's not about your total number of steals. It's about your efficiency. Like, if you're not stealing bases at a success rate of like 70 75%, you're doing more harm than good. I wonder, can he be that good at it? And then, of course, there's the injury risk of, you know, you're sliding headfirst into a bag, you know, you break a finger, and and you're out for multiple weeks. I mean, all kinds of things can happen on attempted steals. I I wonder if Mike Rizzo, in his heart of hearts, likes this and saying, hey, Soto's trying to become a more well-rounded player, or if he's like, you know, it, it's just the risk isn't worth the reward. Just keep being maybe the single best hitter in the sport. And, and you know, that's good enough for us improve the outfield defense. And he, he did make a nice sliding forward catch in this game, but it's like, I don't know. Do you want him risking injury like that?
1: I'm thinking back now. Remember Bryce Harper early in his career thought he could run a lot and he, and he could. And then as he started to get a little closer to free agency, he didn't run anymore. He was trying to hit home runs. And I wonder if the same thing will happen with Juan here eventually, or if uh, some other people who are invested in his next contract might get to him <laughs> and say, yeah, maybe you want to tone that down a little bit. Let's not hurt your uh, market value by, uh, by risking injury and running the bases. I, I don't know. We'll see. I think it's interesting. I think it's something that he maybe could add to the game, but he does need to be smart about it and, and certainly can't risk injury.
0: Yeah, uh, Coach Boris may have something to say about Juan Soto running the. Coach Boris becomes Davey Lopes when it comes to Juan Soto's base running here. We'll see. couple of other things with the Nationals offensively so overall right not a very good game again offensively you're missing so many of your key bats it is notable though and it would appear that the Jonathan Lucroy situation is about to go away with both Jan Gomes and Alex Avila coming off the 10-day injured list but how about Lucroy Mark two more hits in this game on Friday they just signed the guy over the weekend one out single in the top of the third two out single on an 0-2 pitch in the top of the fifth. I mean, anything you could get out of Luke Croy, I think, is a positive. He actually ended up doing a halfway decent job for the Nats over these last few games.
1: How about a 400 batting average? Four for 10. I mean, you'll take it, right? So I'm curious to see what happens now because they wanted to give Gomes and Avila the day just, to, you know, they just flew in the, the, during the morning, long flight cross country. They didn't think it'd be right to throw one of them out there into the game. So they gave Luke Croy another start. And you would think that either Gomes or Avila will be ready to catch on Saturday but they could find a way to keep him at least for a little bit while some others are out. And it's not the worst thing to have three catchers right now for this one reason. And, and you almost saw it in the game. Davey sent Jan Gomes up to pinch hit in the eighth until Dave Roberts made the pitching change, brought in Trinan, and so Davey counter with Yadiel Hernandez, who got a double and started that rally. But when you have three catchers, you can use one of them as a pinch hitter. And right now, Gomes, Avila, and Lucroy... You would say at least one of them is a better pinch hitting option for you than Carter Keeboom, Cody Wilson, Hernan Perez, somebody like that. They might find a way to keep him for a little bit, but once they're at full strength, I don't think you can afford to keep a third catcher for that reason. And un- unfortunately, they're probably going to lose him, but good for him. He's pro- he may get another job because of the, the performance that he's put together here in the first week of the season in an emergency situation.
0: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Luke Croy was one of the better catchers in baseball. It's been a few years and, you know, he's an older player now, but he did a nice job for the Nats here to begin the season.
1: Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through the experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram, at real Rachel.
3: Tim is here, producer of the Nat Chat Podcast. I'm so excited that baseball is back. There's nothing like watching a game with great weather, a cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give it a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free. You'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long there is a reason FanDuel sportsbook is america's number one sportsbook the app is simple to use they've got great odds on all different betting markets unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day and when you win fandu will pay your winnings in as little as 24 hours so if you want to lay down a bet on the orioles why you would choose the orioles i'm not sure but if you do and they win 24 hours, you're good to go. Just download the Fando Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's Fando Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only for risk-free bet. Refund issued is non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fano.com Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa one 9 with it Indiana one 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia in Tennessee, one 889 9789 or in West Virginia, visit www100 gamblernet
2: We're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. And now Ross Kumpset can put him away here. And he does. A swing and a foul tip held by Luke Roy for strike three. That will do it for the Dodgers
0: in the fifth. The biggest bright spot clearly by far for the Nats in this one nothing loss at the Dodgers on Friday was Joe Ross pitching in a meaningful game for the first time since making that emergency start for Max Scherzer in Game 5 of the 2019 World Series, right? Joe Ross having opted out of the 2020 season due to the pandemic. He goes out there and he gives you, I mean, realistically, as much as you could have hoped for. Five scoreless innings, four strikeouts, gives up just two hits, both of which were singles, did issue a walk. He throws just 67 pitches and he gets pulled. Now, I, you know, I think it's really hard to sit here and crush Davey for this. I mean, the guy hasn't pitched in a meaningful game again since the World Series start in Game 5, But that is the kind of thing, right? You look at, you say, man, 67 pitches. I mean, they definitely could have pushed that later in the season, but they don't. Uh, But man, it's hard to complain about what you got out of Joe Ross. For a second consecutive game, the Nats get a really nice starting pitching performance from someone who either barely pitched the previous year or didn't pitch at all.
1: Yeah, so two points on the quick uh, hook for him. Number one, he had not pitched in any game since March 23rd in Jupiter, Florida. The way the spring training schedule was, he got the short straw, and the Grapefruit League season ended before he could make another start. They wanted him to throw a simulated game in D.C. before opening day, and that was the one that got rained out and then ultimately covid out, I suppose. So there really wasn't an opportunity for him to build up one more time. Maybe that would have made a difference. The other part was he had just gotten through the lineup twice, and the Dodgers were bringing the top of the order up again the third time. I know you pay attention to these things third time through the order, Not to say that he can't do it and that he won't ultimately get there, but in your first start of the season, given the long layoff, given that lineup, are you going to let him face Chris Taylor, Corey Seager, Justin Turner a third time? So I I get it. I understand. I think what was more telling or or more agonizing of that was, so Luis Avalon comes in, strikes out Taylor and Seager, and now Justin Turner comes up. And if we're in baseball rules pre-2020, where the reliever doesn't have to face three batters, maybe you do bring in a righty to face Justin Turner in a scoreless game in the sixth. And instead, Avilon has to face him. And he left a change up over the plate and Turner whacked it. So I I don't know if that would have made a difference if if he was allowed to bring in somebody else, but I I couldn't help but wonder that. Still, you give up one homer to to Justin Turner over a a, a full ball game. I can't complain about the pitching in this game. They got everything they could get from them. And you just got to find a way to score a run or two.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you you can't crush Avilan there. I hate that rule, by the way, that three batter minimum. The, the idea that that's speeding things up that doesn't make any difference. Like you're you're limiting strategy when you do that. To me, it reminds me of the thing they did a few years ago. They instituted where if you want to intentionally walk someone, they can just walk to first base. You don't have to throw the four pitches. Like that doesn't make any difference. Okay, that that's not the problem. That's not why these games are so tediously long. Like the same thing with the three batter minimum. That's not the issue. But yeah, that's a great point about what might have been had that rule not been in effect. It's interesting, too, to me with Ross because clearly third time through the order penalty was on Davy's mind, as that should have been on Davy's mind. But, you know, you obviously can never script how these things play out. The timing of Joe Ross's final plate appearance ends up being so unfortunate because he comes up top of the fifth, runners on first and second, the game is scoreless, and he ends up striking out on four pitches for the third out. You know, if you are further along in the game and that spot arises, you pinch hit for Ross very clearly there. And who knows what happens, right? We did see a pinch hitter later in the game, Yadiel Hernandez, lace a double. But instead, you're like, well, look, I mean, Ross is pitching well, and it's only the top of the fifth inning. Like, we don't want to yank the guy now, so you keep him in. It's a feeble plate appearance and, you know, a scoring opportunity, and who knows what would have happened, but a scoring opportunity goes by the wayside. So there is an element of luck with some of this stuff where it's like, when you come up to hit as a pitcher – where you're at in the game, it, it can impact what takes place. And I just thought that was an opportunity that could have turned out so differently if maybe some of the circumstances around it are different.
1: Yeah. And it's literally one more inning. They would have done that. Once he got through the bottom of the fifth, they probably do hit for him in the sixth. But let me just say this. Isn't it great that we can have this discussion because pitchers are hitting again? This is the beauty of the National League game, Al this is what we want. There there are these kind of strategic decisions that have to be made. It's not just as simple as pull the guy whenever you think he's done. This is the way baseball is meant to be played.
0: Well, uh, says some people, but I still would say for most people, it's just not entertaining watching these pitchers hit. And I think there's plenty of strategy even if you have the DH. It's not like the American League is bereft of strategy. It's just you don't have this thing of one out of every nine times the guy coming up to hit has like zero chance Of doing anything. So, yeah, I mean, I suppose you can spin it that way, Spin Master, but uh, I'm not doing that in this spot here. If Joe Ross batting is bringing people joy, then more power to you, I guess.
1: Ask a majority of our listeners which one they support. They support the pitcher hitting because they're fans of a National League team, obviously. But I think more than more of Nationals fans like the pitcher hitting then don't like it hitting.
0: Let's put that to the test. You can tweet us, at Nats underscore chat. You can email us, Natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We haven't really gotten into that issue yet, so let's go ahead and do it here. Where are you on the issue of the pitcher batting? It's probably going to be going bye-bye after this year anyway. I mean, everyone you listen to and read says, yeah, they're probably going to go universal DH after this year. I'm fine with it. I I just think that this stuff with the pitcher batting, it's just not entertaining And especially in a day and age now where you're paying pitchers so much money, the pain of when a pitcher gets injured hitting or running the base paths, and it happens more than people may think. It's just like it's not good for the business of baseball either. But let us know where you're at on that. But Joe Ross, it was really good to see him pitch that way. And you know, you think about Joe Ross, like we kind of view him now in a certain way because the last few years have not gone well due to injury and ineffectiveness, but it wasn't that long ago. Like I'm thinking like 2015, 2016, he was pretty good. And it was starting to feel like, you know, Joe Ross could maybe be the next in line of national stalwarts in the rotation for years to come like not an ace but like a a number four maybe a number three and I think back also to Ross in 2019 he was really bad as a reliever that year but late that regular season he did quite well as a starter and so you know you see that you see what he did against the Dodgers on Friday you're kind of like man if, if the right Joe Ross is with us in 2021 that's a really nice number five starter to have.
1: Maybe even better than number five. Look, he could be better than John Lester when it's all said and done. I don't think too many people would be that surprised by it. If he had not opted out last year, they had some high hopes for him. Finally healed from Tommy John surgery, took that big step, like you said, at the end of 2019. Obviously, they trusted him to start a World Series game on on last second notice, so they must think something of the guy. I think there's real potential there. And what I loved from him in this start was every pitch he threw moved. The two-seamer is darting down and away. I mean, he's thrown it 92, maybe 94 tops, but with tons of movement. The slider's moving. The changeup is moving. That was impressive to me. He's not throwing anything straight. And even though it's a little unconventional that everything he throws is between like 85 and 94 miles an hour, there's not a real variance there. But he's able to get away with it, I think, because everything moves. There's no such thing as a straight pitch from him. But we'll see if he can keep that up, and especially if you have to face a lineup three times. But for a first outing, I was really encouraged by it. And I don't know how the Nationals could not be.
0: Yeah, especially against a lineup like this one. Like I know Dodger Stadium is a notorious pitcher's park, but you're facing the class of the sport right now in the Dodgers. And you throw five scoreless innings like that, that's a great job. So I said at the top of the show, this was otherwise a very good Friday. Like, you know, Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln had you enjoy the play. But beyond the game on Friday, there actually was some really good news for the Nationals. And one of the big items was the news on the COVID-19 front. The Nats earlier on Friday, reinstating four players from the 10-day injured list who'd been out to begin the season due to the COVID-19 protocols. The two catchers, Jan Gomes, Alex Avila, back. Your ace reliever, the lefty, Brad Hand, back. And that especially looms large in a series against the lefty-laden Dodgers. And Jordy Mercer, one of your backup infielders, is back. And Patrick Corbin is with the team. Was not activated, but there is a feeling that could happen for Saturday's Game 2 in the series. We'll see. Nats have not announced a starter. But I I love this when Davey revealed this to you guys, Mark, before the game. All five of these guys, Gomes, Avila, Hand, Mercer, and Corbin, flying on a charter to L.A. Friday morning and they're with the Nats. So this is good. This is what we were hoping for that maybe some of the horses could be back for this series. Looks like that's going to be the case. I know we don't know for sure, but what do you think? Is Corbin going to start game two of the series?
1: I have a hunch he is. Obviously, he made the trip. He's been cleared, so he's allowed to. I think they wanted to get a look at him, let him work out today at Dodger Stadium, see how he's doing. Brad Hand was able to throw an inning in a simulated game in Fredericksburg, Davey said. So that you know he was available for this game if they needed him. And I feel like, and not to say that they're going to make that decision based on whether they won the series open or not, but you lose that game. And if the alternative is Austin Voth in Saturday night's game or Patrick Corbin, even if he's a little rusty, I feel like they're going to give the ball to Corbin. So we'll see. I think they were going to meet after the game to discuss it. And, and you know we'll know sooner rather than later, but that would be a big boost for them. Maybe even a little bit of an unexpected boost. I didn't necessarily think once I knew they weren't on the team's charter on Wednesday night, I didn't think they were necessarily going to find a way to get everybody there in time, certainly not for the first game. Now, the question is, who paid for the charter? Is this a Mark Lerner charter? Is it a Max Scherzer charter, a Ryan Zimmerman charter? Who came through with this one? Because that was coming up big time. Because remember, if they had to fly commercially, they're required to go through the intake screening again, which has a delay until you can be activated, until you're cleared of COVID again. So The charter flight, that is huge. I don't know what it cost, but if Patrick Corbin pitches Saturday night and pitches great and helps him win a game, it was worth it.
0: Well, they say a war, one war, is worth about $8 million. So w- what is one win worth when it comes via a chartered flight across the country? I don't know if it's $8 million, but it's probably close. It better have been the learners paying for that flight. Come on. They're the richest ownership group in the sport. Like, I know Max has money. I know Zim has money. But billionaire Mark and billionaire Ted be- better have footed that bill. I-, I tend to think they probably did. But th- that is the thing. Like, you think about the lack of luck for the Nationals to begin this season with this COVID-19 situation. It's not just how this played out with, you know, the positive test happens and you don't know of it prior to boarding a flight from Florida to DC. It's also that your second series of the year is in freaking LA. So you have to navigate those waters too. Of It's across the country. You know, like, it's not like your next series was up in New York or Philadelphia. It's in Los Angeles. Like, Really, the baseball guys were not smiling upon the Nationals when this whole early season situation was set up.
1: No, and they they flew early uh, Friday morning. So you're talking about a five-hour cross-country flight in advance of a one o'clock game. It's not even that they were in L.A., But it was opening day for the Dodgers, World Series ceremony, ring presentation. So they're going to have a day game at one o'clock local time. I guess in the end, it's it's maybe a good, they didn't have to use any of those players, but that's a long day to fly out there in the morning. Maybe if it's a night game, he could start Gomes or Avila, or maybe Hand gets into the game out of the bullpen. But no, you're right. I mean, they couldn't have have drawn it up any worse from a scheduling standpoint to start the season. Uh, You know, fortunately, it, it hasn't necessarily cost them, but that was not ideal.
0: So the four Nats who are still out are Josh Bell, Kyle Schwerber, Josh Harrison, and John Lester. I don't know if we're violating any HIPAA laws in saying this, but I think logic would suggest those are the four who tested positive for COVID-19 and these other guys with the close contacts. Do you think I'm right in saying that?
1: I think it's fair to, um, to wonder that and to draw that conclusion. The only thing, as somebody pointed out to me to remember, is there were two other players not major leaguers at the Fredericksburg camp who were also on the total list of 11 who were ineligible. So it's possible that one of them also was one of the ones tested positive. And, you know, so I don't want to a hundred percent say I'm certain of it, but read between the lines, five players already cleared. And remember the timeline for being cleared is less for those who were close contacts versus those who actually tested positive. So, it's not unreasonable to to think this and wonder. It'll ultimately be up to them if they want to release that information or not. The good news is everybody appears to be healthy. I think we are going to see them sooner rather than later. I don't know if they all make it to LA. Maybe they meet them in St. Louis, but you would think that we're you know probably only a few days away tops from getting everyone back.
0: So you mentioned the Dodgers getting their World Series rings prior to this game on Friday. I tell you, Another thing from the department of you couldn't have scripted this any better or worse, depending on your perspective. On the same day that the Nationals are forced to watch or at least be in the ballpark as the Dodgers get their World Series rings in front of, by the way, 15,000 plus at Dodger Stadium, we do get formal approval from Washington, D.C. for the Nationals to have more fans at Nationals Park. Finally, Washington, D.C. has approved a waiver request from the Nats to have 25 percent capacity or at least more capacity at games at Nats Park. It's going to be 25 percent capacity. The letter coming from Dr. Christopher Rodriguez, who is Washington, D.C.'s director of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. And the approval has been granted. Now, you know, this, of course, has been a prolonged situation. The Nationals wanting fans at Nationals Park. The Nats ended up being the last major league team to announce a plan for fans attending games to begin the season because DC slow walked this. The Nats submitted on March 19th and March 24th these waiver requests for more fans. They finally get the approval on April 9th. Take your time, District of Columbia, but they are going to have increased capacity at Nationals Park, 25% capacity. Max Serzer was very vocal about this, after his season opening start, you know, why can't we have more fans, especially up in the upper deck? And thankfully, you're going to get some more fans at the ballpark. Very good news. It's
1: great news. And, you know, hopefully this also opens it up to non-season ticket holders. I get why that was the policy for the first homestand, and I'm not faulting them for doing it that way. But I know there are plenty of other fans who aren't season ticket holders that are dying to go to a game. And now they may have an opportunity to do that. Honestly, I'm a little bit surprised. I didn't think it would happen until May. Just the way the district has been moving so slowly with this, the fact that there's another homestand coming up pretty soon, and, you know, honestly, the fact that the team just had this COVID outbreak, not that that has anything to do with fans at games, but I thought that might slow the process down a little bit. I'm glad to see that it didn't. It certainly seems like Max uh, suggested the other day that you can get 10,000 people in that ballpark and be pretty spread out and, and not really be that much of a concern when you include the upper deck and even in the lower deck, I don't know what it looked like on TV, but in person, you could see how far apart people were. And I think back to our conversation with Dr. Fauci, he kind of seemed to suggest that he thought it was doable too. He knows the ballpark very well, and he knows there is a lot of room and space for people to spread out. So 10,000 give or take. I'm looking forward to seeing that.
0: It's totally doable. You're outdoors. We live in an area, as we have said, that has done a good job by and large with the virus. It's not like you're going to have people walking around acting like idiots with this. Like people are going to behave responsibly. And, you know, there's also this we've been having fans in stadiums for a while now. I mean, going back to last postseason in baseball, there were fans at the World Series games in Texas, and there's been no definitive proof. There is no overwhelming data saying that opening up stadiums is leading to more spread of the virus. The NFL, anyone who followed the NFL playoffs, almost every game in the postseason had fans in attendance, including the the Super Bowl had tens of thousands of people in attendance. And there's just no proof that doing this is leading to spread. If people behave responsibly, you can do this. And I really believe people in DC will behave responsibly as they have for so much of this pandemic. You know what, what I also wonder about too, Mark, is, you know, so much of this in terms of like, Easing of restrictions, right? What is it predicated on? The reaction to Mayor Bowser over the last say week or so has not been good. People have been all over her about this, and not just with the Nationals, with the Capitals, and the Wizards. Ted Leonsis and his people were furious at the Caps and Wizards not being able to have fans. And yes, I know, like how many people want to attend a Wizards game right now, but that's not the point. I wonder if pressure is what made this happen. You know, for all the talk about follow the science, follow the data, isn't it interesting? I mean, you you said it right. The Nats just had a COVID nineteen situation, and yet now. They're opening up capacity to 25%. Like, what does that tell you about sort of the arbitrary nature of some of this stuff to where now they raise it up to 25%? You know, I think you got to wonder about something like that.
1: Yeah, look, and it's a reminder that as much as we want to think that these decisions are strictly being made based on science, we know they're not. These are political decisions in the end and business decisions. Of course, Ted Leonsis and Mark Lerner want to have as many fans as possible in their stadiums because it means more revenue for them after a year in which they've lost so much revenue. And if you're the mayor, you don't want to be seen as the bad guy in all this and preventing fans from being able to see their team. So there is a political element to it, a business element to it. Look, you hope that it doesn't lead to any rise in cases, but I, I agree with what you said. I trust fans in D.C., more than I trust fans in some other parts of the country. You're going to see everyone wearing masks, the vast majority of people wearing masks. You're going to see them stay in their pods. I think they've done a really good job walking around the ballpark. I can see the the steps they've taken there with the touchless condiment station, with the uh, ability to order food off of an app or even uh, uh, scan it on your phone. I mean, they have really thought it through. And, you know, this is going to be part of our existence for a while now. Even when ballparks are fully open again sometime this summer, in theory, it's not going to be 100% back to normal. There are still going to be precautions in place, and I think we do have to get used to this stuff. And I think they have done a good job here, and the hope would be that fans, given this new freedom to turn out in larger numbers, will not take it for granted and will do the right thing and and be safe about it.
0: I'm glad they got the 25%. You'll get 10000 give or take, at Nationals Park, and, and I think that's really good news. I think the Nationals fan base has earned this, so I'm glad to see that. All right. Well, if Patrick Corbin does start game two, how about Corbin and Scherzer to go games two and three in this series? And I don't know if the Dodgers have announced what they're doing, but looking on their website, it looks like Urias in game two, Kershaw in game. It's not Kershaw in game three.
1: Dustin May. They're going to give Kershaw an extra day. Now, Dustin May is their number five starter. He's not a number five starter for most teams. So that's not some, they didn't catch some huge break here by avoiding Kershaw. But Yes. I mean, you know, the Nats will face the Dodgers and not have to face Kershaw or Bauer. So there's maybe a little bit of fortuitous break there.
0: All right. You tell us what you think at Nats underscore chat. You can email us to natschatpodcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats chat are brought to us by 106.7 The Fan. And we're going to leave you with something that is apropos, given the news on Friday, that Nationals Park is about to be opened up to 25% capacity. Charlie Steiner, Rick Monday on the Los Angeles Dodgers radio network and what they were saying as first pitch was approaching on Friday for Nationals Dodgers. This was the Dodgers home opener. It was the game prior to which, like we said, the Dodgers received their World Series rings. You know, kind of a sense of what it does mean to have fans back at major league stadiums to whatever capacity those fans are allowed. We thank you for joining us and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
3: This place looks absolutely phenomenal. But to have an interaction with another person, it, it, it was like with a whistle. We got goosebumps. Yeah, It's one
2: small step for man, one giant leap for baseball. The season is upon us. The Dodgers are 5-2. and two. It's the home opener against the Washington Nationals. Lineups and first pitch of the first game from Dodger Stadium in more than a year. Coming up.